Ben Moore has been in love with bees for as long as anyone can remember. And as far as we can tell, the feeling is entirely mutual. Although he still sometimes feels the sting of his passion. Hang around, learn a little. It's as sweet as honey and always a buzz. It's the Ultimate Pollinators Podcast with Ben, his friends and associates, and of course, Ben's Bees. I'm super excited to do something a little bit different today. So on the line, we have Jay Curtin from Australian Honey Ventures. Thank you so much for your time, Jay. Hi, Ben. Thanks for having me. It's pretty exciting. First podcast I've ever done. <laughs> That's awesome. That's really, really cool. Well, this is really cool because how this sort of uh, stumbled on it, it was, I was on, uh, I'm a little bit crook at the moment. I <laughs> got a suffering a little bit of COVID and I was- um, Oh, no. Yeah, I'm okay. It's uh, all, all good. But it was actually interesting. I was on my Facebook in doing the old, you know, scrolling and this ad came up and I thought, how cool is this? And I jumped on and I saw a uh, Nick Cummings, the uh, Honey Badger, which we're going to talk about uh, shortly, but the um, Australian Honey Ventures. So, Jay, what is it? Tell us all about it, please. Well, firstly, um, thanks for confirming my ad campaign is actually working and it's getting out there. <laughs> um, that's a big plus for us because we are in the middle of a major crowdfunding capital raise. So, Look, let me tell you a little bit about Australian Honey Ventures, or um, as we're affectionately known, AHV. So, look, we're a company, Australian company, that started just over a couple of years ago now uh, to um, to solve some issues in the in, in the honey industry. But look, one of the biggest challenges that we saw was a lack of marketing in in the industry, and we knew that we had an amazing product here in Australia, in all states, not just here in WA. Okay. And we saw a huge opportunity um, in in uh, very, I suppose you could say, wealthy export markets. And I just thought, well, you know, what's going on here? Why is our honey not there? And you you, you then turn um, uh, turn your attention to the marketing and um, you know how Australia has historically been marketing their product. And it's like, okay, this is this is the stumbling block. This is, this is you know, where things are going wrong. So we saw an opportunity with marketing for Australian honey to really lift the industry and increase the um, GDP of the entire Australian industry. Um, similarly, um, there was another issue that we identified uh, similar to the dairy, farmer, the dairy farming industry where beekeepers did not appear to be getting their fair share. Yes. Um, a really uh, like a, a mon- monopoly industry. It's not monopoly. There's a. It's, it's another word starting with O, which means not just one major person, but there's a few major people there really setting the price and controlling the industry. And um, yeah, I just thought that 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 didn't seem right to me. I was seeing a lot of media uh, coming out of uh, Asian uh, markets. Um, saying that our uh, Jarrah honey here in Western Australia, which I was producing at the time, was um, getting around five hundred dollars a kilo, and I, wow. you know, I did the maths, and I thought, um, look, this is really strange because when back then, when when we were looking at this business idea, um, the the price for Jarrah was you know around twelve thirteen dollars a kilo, okay. um, not to mention some of the other honeys were you know around the three or four dollar a kilo mark, and I just thought there's a massive big discrepancy there between what beekeepers are getting for their medicinal honey versus what it's actually retailing for in, in those markets. So, um, yeah, I'm like a dog with a bone. I set on a journey to actually explore, um, do market research in these markets and find out what the hell is actually happening here. And what I found was, was um, actually quite mind-blowing. So, um, yeah, here we are, uh, fast-forwarding on a couple of years now. Uh, we Oh, and the other thing probably I should touch on too the, the point of difference with Australian Honey Ventures is we're a profit-sharing organisation. Okay. So, cool. um, awesome. yeah, I can't believe that. So that's probably the most important part. And here I jumped into marketing. So, look, what I um, – I'm a bit of a softie. Um, I, I suppose some people in business would argue that point. But in, deep down, I'm a bit of a softie. And when I see good old true blue Australian people getting rorted, mm. I can't stand yeah. it. Yeah, I um, I, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's a man down the road the guy at the bowling club, if yeah. somebody's being dealt, you know, an, an unfair blow, then yeah, I think spring into action. So I was looking at what was happening in the dairy industry and um, the publicity that was coming back 
about the processors and, and the retailers getting, you know, the greater share of the profits from one litre of milk. And, and mm-hmm. I saw a lot of synergies there in what was happening with beekeepers and a lot of unhappy people, um, you know, a, a kind of a monopoly sort of industry and these price setting. And I thought, well, imagine if there was a way where the more that a honey packer sold their honey for, the more that um, the beekeepers benefited. And, and I know the old cooperative, um, the cooperative was there. And uh, But for some reason, cooperatives always, not always, but a uh, majority of the cooperatives that I've researched have all fallen over. And I don't know if it's greed. I, I honestly don't know. But I thought, how do we get the benefit of a cooperative but run with a private um, a private type of company, like yes. a, a different structure. Yes. So I came up, I was actually researching um, CBH, uh, which is like a massive um, cooperative um, bulk handling grain processing um, entity over here in Western Australia. And um, so it's a, the cooperative where whoever brings the, the, the grain in, um, you know, buys into that cooperative, shares in the profits at the end of the financial year. So when I, when I was looking at this model, the, um, the, the, I think he was the CEO or you know, whoever he was at the time, um, he was um, quoted in an article saying if there was a way that CDH could pay their producers there and then when they made a sale, they would do it. They just could never work out how to do it. So that means that the, um, uh, the, the suppliers had to wait a long time to be able to get any dividends and whatever. Yep. So I started looking at things and thought, how could I change this? And so we've come up with a model at um, Australian Honey Ventures. One, the first thing that we have to do is find the, the very exciting and the lucrative um, the sales opportunities. Okay. Uh, but what we do um, is we will pay beekeepers, or we do pay beekeepers, sorry, uh, we pay them a high upfront price for their honey, higher than what anyone else is paying. And then we, so let's say, we'll just do an example, right? Let's take, we'll, we'll lose, use a real life example. Yes. yes um, awesome. we've, just, we've, we've just signed a deal, uh, multiple deals actually in the Middle East. Let's take our Q8 deal. So we're currently selling a 250 gram jar of TA35 honey. Uh, doesn't matter what variety it is. I'll, I'll get to that point in a minute. But just TA thirty five plus of any variety, honey, okay. uh, two hundred fifty grams. We sell that for twenty dollars and forty two cents. Okay, so that's awesome. Eighty. So that's eighty two dollars a kilo is what yep. we sell for. So let's just call it eighty. So I because I don't have a calculator in front of me. <laughs> yep. So we sell we sell that for eighty dollars a kilo or twenty dollars a jar. Yep. The distributor then sells that for one hundred and eighty eight dollars a jar on their shelf. Like it's wow. insane, right? Wow. Yeah, so about seven hundred and eighty bucks a kilo. So let's get back to the the poor old eighty dollars a kilo where we sit while we're um, B two B at this stage. Yes. So let's say that um, for a PA thirty five, we pay uh, beekeepers approximately twenty four twenty five dollars a kilo upfront. Does not matter if it's Jarrah, Blackbutt, Red Gum. I mean, to give you an idea, um, what is the major packer here in this country. Um, we'll currently give C4.80 a kilo for it. We're paying, we're paying, we're paying, I mean, we're paying upfront about $24.25 a kilo. Um, and then, so if we go to the $80 sale price that we achieve, we take out, let's just call it 25 for ease of calculations. We take out the 80 minus the 25. We then take out a packing and marketing rate, which might be around 10 bucks a kilo. Yep. So that leaves us with, so what's that? Forty-five dollars uh, a kilo yes. less, yep. and we then split the profit with beekeepers. So that forty-five dollars a kilo is the price after the supplies paid after we paid to pack a marketer. So that forty-five dollars a kilo at the moment, as we're a startup, we're sharing, we're splitting that, we're giving beekeepers twenty percent cut. Wow, that's so awesome. that means that's twenty. Awesome. So. Tw- so twenty percent of yes. forty five dollars is nine dollars. Yes. So yes. the beekeepers were already paid twenty five dollars a kilo up front and they get a nine dollar a kilo bonus. Wow. Uh, we pay those bonuses quarterly. So that if we go back to the beginning where the you know, currently the price is set at four dollars eighty a kilo for black bunt, um, our beekeepers are getting you twenty five plus your nine. So they're walking away with thirty four bucks a kilo. Well, that's um awesome. Yeah. So so if you do say ten thousand, you got ten tons 
of black butter, you can take it down the road and sell it at $4 out of your kilo and get 48 grand. Or you can do absolutely nothing different but bring your honey to us who we found those lucrative markets and our model is about giving back um, and get yourself 300 and, you know, 20 grand yeah, off the same that's money. Great. So That's awesome. So, so yeah. getting back, yeah, getting back to um, the real interesting thing that we've done, a press release came out um, at the start of the year. It, we, I, I, one thing I really couldn't understand is why does JARA seem to command such high prices over here uh, when we've got we've got red gum, we've got black salt, we've got some other um, PA honeys as well. And I thought, what is so good about Jarra? Um, and why is that the only honey that's commanding these ridiculous prices? So um, I really couldn't find any justification for it other than that's just how it is. So I said, well, you know what? This is really strange because when my kids are sick and I have to go to the chemist and I buy the Nurofen, um, I say to the pharmacist, mate, can I have the Nurofen? He says, would you like orange? Would you like strawberry or vanilla? And I say, mate, what's the difference? He says, nothing, there is no difference. It's the same price. It's the same strength. It's just a different flavor choice. So why are we treating our honeys any different? So, you know, as long as this honey comes in at 15 plus, as long as it comes in at 25 plus or 35, it's like saying, hey, we can offer you a TA35 strength and it comes in these flavors. We can offer you a TA25 strength and you have the choice of these flavors. I said, so why are we allowing ourselves to market in a way that sets us up for failure where we're, we're having to pick a hero honey and say, hey, this is, the, this is the competitor to Manuka. It just doesn't make sense. We need to be marketing. We are a powerhouse of medicinal honey here in Australia. Um, we can produce multiple strengths. And you know what? Another competitive advantage Australia has is we have all these different flavours. Yes. Whereas yes. in New Zealand, I know, I know <laughs> for a fact yeah. Yes. That my Middle Eastern buyers say they don't actually like the flavour of the manuka, yes. but they eat it because they think it's the best and it's good for them. But boy, oh boy, are they excited now they've got their hands on all these different flavours of medicinal honey and they're, they're going mad for it. That's awesome. So, um, so yeah, we've pioneered now uh, with our major buyers in the Middle East. It's a pay per TA strategy, pricing strategy. So, doesn't matter. That's it. With, you know, I, and I've had to try. So Stephen, um, Stephen's used to being the chairman of this company. I actually said to him, look, his old habits die hard, right? He's, you know, an old dog, fourth generation beekeeper. And I said, look, change starts with you. As the spearhead and the chairman of this company, change must start with you. Yes. And yep, I said, it's yep. going to feel very awkward for you, but you need to make sure that the way you talk now, you don't talk like Jarrett is the be all and end all because it all is. And, um, and he, he himself has said, actually, it's really quite challenging because, you know, that, that wheel rut, that um, perception that Jarrah is the best, it's only the best because that's what people have been led to believe, you know, through marketing. So, so yeah, look, that's a, probably a big jam-packed, too much information for you about who we are, what we are, what we're doing. Uh, back to the capital raise. We plan to, look, we're, we're going for an IPO probably in the next two years yeah, cool. um, in order for us to um, expand rapidly and increase that value of our company, we need cash. So the reason we need cash is we need to upgrade all of our processing facilities so we can continue to meet demand. Um, we've got a million dollars set aside for marketing in the next 12 months, um, not to mention you know, having another million or two million up our sleeve to be able to um, secure honey. So a lot of people will be saying, oh, you know, because this is our second capital raise in about nine months. And... Um, and the first one was all about getting the cash so we could establish a brand new brand. And that's where the Honey Badger comes in. Um, we've done that. We've kicked all of our goals. We've hit all of our mile, milestones quicker than we would actually thought we could. And now we're back for round two so we can actually spread our wings and fly. So, that's awesome. Um, that's, yeah. So, cool to um, so I was just going to jump in and ask, yeah, ask a question because I've got lots of questions. So, um, is it, and this is what a cool platform you're doing. So, so, so the is it predominantly export we're, we're looking at? Yeah, look, it, it depends. It's product market fit. I say another little saying I say to people: you don't try if you're a fast food, greasy food outlet. You don't try and market a, a seller to a fat person. Yes. Like you, you, you know, like somebody. I mean, I know the fat person might want to go on um, a diet or whatever, but generally speaking, you need to get your product market fit. Otherwise, you can have the best product in the world, but if your 
trying to sell it to the wrong type of person or buying demographic, then, you know, it's, 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 it's going to fall over. So for me, it's a really hard question to answer. Um, and it can be actually a little bit controversial and um, conjure up some uh, interesting responses and behaviours from people. Uh, so firstly, when it comes to medicinal honey, we have the wonderful Manuka that has pioneered and desensitised mm. many international markets to high prices in honey. So we're very grateful for that because they've done all the hard work. Um, so it, we've got so many so many beekeepers producing this really high-value stuff, we've got a choice. We can position this honey alongside um, uh, alongside Manuka because it is just as good, if not more stronger in some aspects. And we can command those big prices that Manuka is getting, um, feed that back to a beekeeper. So they've got more money to invest in a new truck or put a new person on because, you know, he's 63, fourth generation, exhausted, Doing working harder than a twenty year old, yes, yeah. maybe you know put a bit more money back in their pockets, back into their business, so they can afford to put on a new worker. Or, you know what, we we don't look at those export markets. We be be patriotic and say no, we're going to keep our really good medicinal honey and we're going to keep it here in Australia. But you can't get it on the shelf. Well, you can get it on the shelf, but Australians in most retail supermarkets don't want to pay for it. They're very price driven. So we keep this high medicinal honey, we sell it at a table honey price through our retail chain, how's that, how's that lifting our economy? You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I agree. It's, it's the product market fit for us. We have got honey fit for a king, a prince. You know, these people that they're prepared to pay, you know, soon it's going to be up around the $1,200, $1,300 a kilo. And I'm all about how do we give back? How do we have the biggest possible impact that we can and it's about getting as much as we possibly can for our money. And unfortunately, that is not here in Australia. But I guarantee you, the people that are whinging about it, oh, you know, you're taking all the, you know, the medicinal honey off, offshore and blah, 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 if it was on the shelf, or even if it's available here in Australia, they're not the ones that are buying it anyway because we're just, a, you know, I, I forgive the saying, but just a, a mob of like cheapskates when it comes to, you know, like in the supermarkets. I can't tell you how many people I see go straight for the, for the cheapest honey on shelf. Um, so, so yeah, getting back to your question, we are um, predominantly export focused for the medicinal um, honey. But as you know, today we had a major meeting with Woolworths and um, it's our second meeting with Woolworths and looking to be ranged in many stores. And um, that will be a premium table honey range, but they are also looking at um, top shelf products. So very early days, um, but that will put us in the domestic um, table honey market as well as the international medicinal market. That's exciting. That's awesome. Um, and Jay, so, so talk to us about obviously Jarra honey and some of the other honeys and more, uh, well, especially the this TA, this um, total activity in the honey. So what makes it what makes it better? You know, what I mean, is it one side of the creek is you know got better trees than another? How does that all work? if it's about um, better trees um, it's just it's like um, Panadol and Nurofen like they both do the same thing but you know like their um, I suppose their their property makeup is, is somewhat different I think the trees are all just as good as each other and Manuka um, or the Leptospermum I know that we're um, pushing a lot of different um, species of Leptospermum around here and it's all being marketed as um as manuka, yes. um, even so, true manuka is your scoparium um, species, and we've got jelly bush over here, and there's another couple of varieties, and everyone's still putting manuka on there. But look, at the end of the day, I'm all for promoting any medicinal honey that is produced here in, in Australia. Um, I mean, with the so we've got jarra over here, black butt, red gum, we've got carry, we've even got um, something a non eucalyptus base, which is the one sided bottle brush the um, red bell we, we call it over here oh, wow. um, and once again a very TA a very dark very um, high TA honey now what TA means TA is a total activity rating it's, it's the, we use um, a NADA accredited laboratory um, there's a few of them around Australia and um, also in New Zealand that they do what's called an agar well diffusion testing method which is in layman's terms it compares the strength of honey um, against a, a solution of phenol. Okay. So if we have a 
TA um, 10, um, it means that honey has been assigned a 10%. It's, it's, it's the equivalent to a 10% solution of phenol. Okay. A TA 25, it gets higher and higher. But due to testing, um, um, I suppose, the, no, the, the testing um, methodologies and um, things that are in place, they can't actually rate anything higher than a TA 35. Uh, they said, so some of Stephen's honeys have come back at TA 66, um, which is absolutely astronomical, and it's not just one; it's many, um, many honeys. And because the testing um, methodologies are, well, I wouldn't say they're outdated. Uh, they just can't assign anything beyond that because they say that um, anything that high really sort of gets beyond the um, curve of reliability in terms of their testing ability. So where it's a missed opportunity, our Middle East markets are actually screaming. They're seeing the test results coming in and they're going, why can't we have CA66 on this honey? Because, um, and, and we said, look, we actually can't. Um, and they just said, this is a missed opportunity because when it comes to methyl glyoxal, which yes, is the, yes. um, the active component in the manuka, um, they can actually measure that as a part per million, um, like as a, as a gram, a weight in that honey. So we, uh, I suppose the next step for our TA honeys is to, um, well, no one's actually thrown enough cash at it from a scientist's point of view to actually um, try and identify, because there's hundreds and hundreds of different um, components in the honey that could be, we know, there's, we know of the glucose oxidized, oxidized process that, creates hydrogen peroxide, but no one knows what it is, what component in the honey is responsible for that process. So, um, look, when, we'll probably won't do it in the next 12 months, but it is scheduled as part of our R&D, is to actually throw a, um, a heap of cash into trying to isolate that component in these um, TA honeys um, that is responsible for driving it. So then we can capture it, we can, so we can isolate it, we can measure it, um, and then that we can get away from having to use that TA rating system. So we've, um, we've uh, brought into our fray Dr. Shona Blair. So she's, um, she's royalty in the honey industry from a scientific perspective. Her and Julie Irish, I can't remember the other lady, um, pioneered all of the research into the Australian medicinal honeys and um, looking at it very impartially, uh, looking into the leptospermum, and also the, um, the, the peroxide-based honeys like your Jarrett's and so on. And, um, and they've said that what we're producing over here in Western Australia is um, coming back with exceptionally high medicinal findings and um, really should be earning its place in modern medicine. Um, but you know, I, I've taken this research, which was just gathering dust. It's, you know, we get all this funding to do all this research, and it's like, guys, Yes. You've got all of the tools right here at your feet. All you need to do is wrap a bloody good story around it and get a big megaphone and tell the world, um, which was the marketing issue that I said was missing when we started. So, yeah, look, we I suspect, um, like when, when I go to the Middle East, they say we believe all honey are medicinal. And I've heard that so many times. Yes. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, I, and I believe once our, we do more testing and um, things, you know, technology increases, we'll be finding so many medicinal honeys, and which is really good news for Australia because um, people want variety. They want flavour choices. So, yeah, it's extremely exciting. That's absolutely awesome. And what about the actual the procedure in extracting the honey? Obviously, you know, heat's probably the one, the one thing that sort of springs to my mind that's going to alter those sort of TA levels. Is there any sort of special requirements in storage, Jay? Well, one of the things, um, so we we actually have um, uh, an XCOM beta um, engineer uh, building our plant. Can't really say too much there. You can probably hear my voice and getting a little bit. Oh, where do I go with this? Uh, but we we want the best of the best, and we want the most state of the art, up to date processing methodologies and infrastructure to ensure that we can deliver a consistently high-quality product to export markets. But it's quite interesting, actually, um, because there is really no set process on um, at what temperature do you heat your honey and um, or, you know, the other one is what's quite interesting is how many packers out there are selling a mix? Yes. And calling it a monofloral. Yes. And 
um, and I call it out. Like we're as transparent, we're, as, we're a radically transparent company and I, I actually said to Stephen, you know what, I'd love to share a few bottles of wine and I'd love to get the CEO or maybe not the CEOs. Well, in my case, I know exactly what's happening in my company but maybe I might have to get the blenders in other companies. But I want a big round-the-table chat and I'm going to point at each of them and I'm going to say, so what percentage... Uh, do you run before you call it a mix or, you know, what are you doing? Because I suspect there's, you know, um, you know, some honeys out there being called things that, you know, they aren't. Anyway, get it moving. I, I um, yeah, I get off the topic a little bit. Let me get back to the heating. So, um, yeah, it was quite interesting talking to this guy who's helping us and to understand the temperatures at which the manuka in New Zealand was getting processed. I was actually blown away at how hot really? it was. To the, okay. Yep. Um, and and I said to him, look, that sounds very da- dangerously high. And he said it's only for a few seconds. Uh, but And I said, do you do your testing before and after to make sure that your medicinal, you know, like your high-value um, aspects of your honey aren't damaged? And he says, yeah, we do thorough testing and it's all good. So, um, look, we're building a plant now and we haven't really, we haven't had the opportunity really to work out exactly how we're going to run that on our new line. But as a general rule, we get very uncomfortable if our honey's anywhere above 35 degrees. Okay. Yeah, so we yeah. start to get uncomfortable. We've got a sachet machine at the moment. So we're packing um, sachets for hospitality, um, like, you know, Ritz Carlton's and, and Airways is something that we're looking at now. And that little machine, um, even when we've, we've had our honey up around the 38, 39 degrees, and I'm like, I'm not comfortable with it, you know. So there is no set rule out there. Um, and I know a lot of people say it's not heated, it's, you know, it's raw, and, you know, but as every beekeeper knows, and you would know, Ben, um, there needs to be some element of warming there because yes. the honey, you exactly. can't protect no, it. That's right. Exactly. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And that, that, so, leads me, that leads me to the next question, Jay. What, what about yeah. the, when it honey crystallizes? Because a lot of people, you know, uneducated, think, oh, my honey's crystallized, it's gone off, I'll throw it in the bin. So do you think there's going to yep. be some challenges there? What's your thoughts on that one? Yeah, absolutely. It is probably one of the scariest things for me um, is we need to deliver a, um, a product that has a consistency on the shelf. And with controlled crystallisation, um, New Zealand invested in controlled crystallisation many years ago after um, just hitting, banging their heads against a brick wall because it, everything was crystallizing. So they uh, perfected the um, European method of controlled crystallization, which kind of like saying we will not, we'll manipulate in a way, um, but you know, was not putting any additives in it, but just putting a, a small seed into that and processing it to the point it might be like a 10% crystallization mix. It's not, it's not cream honey. But it, if you've opened up a jar of New Zealand Manuka honey, you'll see it's kind of it's velvety yes. or something like that. Yes. So that is because of the technology called controlled crystallisation. And that is one of the things that we're investing in over here because whilst we're, uh, we're running the, the jar and the black butt now, um, red gum is there as well, but um, we're waiting till the brand grows a little bit before we sell the red gum purely because we're concerned about the crystallisation. So... We're stuck between a rock and a hard place, really. Uh, the Middle East love the consistency of our honey, how it's so runny. Um, we, you know, not over runny, but it's not crystal. It's not controlled crystallized. So they love that. So if we go down the line of controlled crystallization for our honeys with a higher level of glucose, because they're the ones that are actually crystallizing, whereas your jarrah and your black butt have a um, higher fructose and lower glucose. Um, so the honeys with a high glucose, which is generally your red gum, if we um, if we control, control crystallise the red gum and send that to that market, I'm a little bit concerned that it may not be received very well because one of the whole things that the Middle East love about our honey is, is that it's not control crystallised. So um, what we are, how we're trying to combat that is, right, let's give this the best shot. Let's build a brand. Everything is about marketing. It's positioning your brand and your brand offering to appeal to those consumers. And like we know over in the Middle East, they love luxury. And so we, our strategy with our major um, distributors over there is let's launch in a massive way the Jarrah and the Black Butt because as you could appreciate, 
when you launch a product, there's not huge demand for it yet. So they're going to have some stock sitting in warehouses and we need to make sure that it's not sitting there crystallizing. So they're going to take the jar and the black butt. We're going to build that brand, monitor, um, you know, like in-store activations and so on. And once we've built that brand, we're going to introduce the red gum um, as a very limited edition honey. So really sort of, um, I suppose, putting that up on a pedestal um, and, you know, hopefully get it to fly off the, off the shelf, um, just using marketing. And that way we don't need to control crystallizer and that way they still get another flavor that is nice and thin. But we need to make sure that that one's a, a fast-moving product. So just strategy really um, in it. Um, if if we if you were to say, Jay, look, how much would it cost you to do a worldwide marketing campaign to change the deep set perception of a crystallized product? I'd say I'd go broke. I'd never have yes. that much money yeah. because I've already been told by the Middle East, don't send us honey with crystals in it because we think it's fake. Yeah, that is so right. weird that they say that um, yes. because China says the opposite. So we've been selling to China and China have said, oh, it's you know, um, it doesn't matter because we sent some red gum over there and it got like a few crystals in it. And they're like, we love it because we know it's real. And I'm like, go figure. Yeah. You've got one that says crystals make them know that it's real. And then you've got the Middle East that said don't send it because everyone will think it's fake. So, um, yeah, it, it, yeah, it is a perception thing. But if trying to change the perception of the Middle East and say, guys, um, just eat it. Don't worry about those crunchy things mm. that are crunching in between your teeth. It's good for you. Yes. Um, and it's natural. They're going to say, well, to hell with you. Um, I'm buying something that doesn't give me that yucky, unpleasurable feeling in my mouth. Like you can't change that, you know. Like you're talking hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years of thoughts and perceptions around what is good honey and what is not. You really just need to listen to what your market is telling you. Yeah, that's so interesting. And, and you just mentioned obviously with red gum, Jay's got this um, this TA level. So that's all red gum throughout Australia has some total activity to it. If it I if don't think so. No, okay. okay. No, I don't think your river red gum over there is very different to our um, our okay. red gum. It's actually a to- – it's got the same name, but it's it's a totally different species. Yes, okay. So it's um, – yeah, and it's because I know that there's also a black butt over there as well yes. but it would be interesting to to do more testing so we've just spent we just tested uh 30 ton of um of different honeys so combination of red gum uh, or actually it was just red gum and black bus and um, that in itself cost us about 11 grand wow. to get that tested because we te- test for we do the sugar profiling test um, moisture test uh, uh hmf and also the total activity. So it is an expensive exercise and just the infrastructure of having to have somebody responsible to collect these samples all around Australia and keep resampling, it's just really hard, you know what I mean? Like it's not it's not easy, but I know as technology improves, it will get easier, it will get cheaper. Um, and who knows, companies like AHV who, um, I'd like to say that AHV is smart enough in that it knows how to flush itself with cash. We know what we need to do to um, to give us the financial resources we need to succeed. Uh, a lot of these companies out there that have built their businesses, God bless them, from the smell of an oily rag, and you know they 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 they've come from nothing to being you know really major players in this industry. They they may not have that financial resource behind them. So um, hence another reason why we're raising capital. Okay, interesting. And so, so Jay, with the honey that you're selling, and uh, is that only from Western Australia? Because you've got some sort of funny laws in WA. Um, it's almost like a little bit yeah. country compared to us in the east. So, can can you bring in honey? Let's say I've got um, uh, you know some um, a manuka or leptospermum sort of honey, and I've got you know, a couple of IBCs. Can I send it to you? Uh, you can't bring it into Western Australia because our biosecurity laws are like insane. In a way, I mean, it's like the COVID, really. Yes. Um, <laughs> we're, you know, we're, we've we're, all got COVID we're kinda, <laughs> You don't. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're, 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 we're imprisoned in paradise, as I think the saying is at the moment. <laughs> okay. You know, like no, no, one's, no one's got it. I like that, yeah. And it's like that with our honey. You know, we, we can't bring any honey in, um, but we – We've also got an oasis here. We've got a paradise, and we've protect. We've we've been protected. So you know, there's it's certainly a big plus to having strong biosecurity. Um, in terms of um, our future, 
we definitely are not only looking at being a WA-based business and oh, okay. uh, we need to. So, but the thing is, if I take my shotgun out and I take a shot, as you know, a bullet on a shotgun, it's like got a spray effect. Mm. And the further away you are, you're not going to hit your target. It's yes. for close range. So if you want to get something, you've got to have finite, you've got to have something powerful, it knows exactly where it's going and it's going to do the job. So with, with what we're doing, we come at this and go, oh, mate, you're a good person and, oh, you know, yep, Danny, okay, you do that and, John, are you, yeah, okay, send me some honey and, and then you go to a buyer and you just totally confuse them because you've got 10 different honeys there and you're trying to tell this story and you just overwhelm them and confuse them and they go, you know what, it's just too difficult. Mm. Give them a limited number of choice, grow that brand, get that traction and then as that brand begins to grow, then, you know, start to say, right, well, you know, this year we're bringing on one more flavour. We're bringing on next year three more flavours. And, you know, like, so you can grow. But if you try and do everything now and have that split focus, you just not, it's just not going to work. Yes, so um, definitely looking to expand. Um, we've already got, so our range, so we, we're, we're launching with three varieties now in three different strengths. Uh, so that gives us a total of nine SKUs. Um, and that's just in the jar, not the sachets. And but we've already got our range designed for six varieties, but just launching with with the three. So and yeah, having discussions with Eastern States people every couple of days about you know where could be a great place to start. So one of the things for for, for me is is looking what is an annual um, uh, flowering pattern over there. So what are some of your your plants that um, flower every year? Uh, and that you produce a lot of because there's no point setting up a business on something that is so rare and only flowers every three years like our jarro, you know what I mean? Like you can't build a business out of, out of that alone, whereas our red gum over here, we produce you know, eight, 900 tonne of it every year wow. um, yeah. and it's medicinal. Yeah. So, it, so just trying to understand and, and, and I don't know much about the Eastern State market. We've got the honey badger and... Um, we arranged him too high because he's fascinated with bees. And um, so we, we called um, good old friend Graham Beach in Queensland. Um, so he's, he's NTB. Yes. And I'm like, Graham, mate, I need your help. The honey badger, he needs some beehives. And he's like, what a legend. He's like, yep, Joe, you just tell me where to be, where I'm going to go. So Graham went and dropped him off a couple of hives. And, um, uh, yeah, and look, it, Nick, he didn't realise that you couldn't go and, you couldn't move bees um, in the middle of the day and all this kind of stuff. So we had a few few dramas. But um, Graham luckily gave him a bit of 101. He's like, mate, you'll work it out, but I'm here if you need me. Uh, but one thing that, because um, I just assumed, well, look, Nick, if ever you need any help, just call Stephen and he'll help you. And um, But the thing, the difference, so many differences between WA and the East Coast, like and even with the little bugs and things that get into the hives over there, I don't even know what they're called, to be honest. But like Stephen said to me, I don't understand how to manage them. We don't have them over here. Yes. So, you know, and that was the, the little bit of insight for me to go, you know, yeah, okay, they're all beekeepers, but they're the, the, the floral patterns, the, um, the, 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 the flora, um, the, oh, you know, really? like that ecosystem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Like Stephen, Stephen even said, oh, look, we, we better hold off um, uh, till spring to get to arrange the badger's hives because I don't want to send him hives there when it's still, um, you know, like over here at that time of the year, there's no flowers because it's too cold and it's winter. Whereas over there, the temperature is so different, there's flowers. So, yeah, it is really different. There's different varieties, um, different methods. It's just a different way of life, but total respect for for, for beekeepers as a whole because they're, um, you know, effectively doing all the same things. So, But hopefully I learned some more about those honeys and we can – Add them to our um, add them to our offering. That's yeah, that's cool. Now I'm going to jump in and sort of say some of the listeners are going to be going honey badger. Isn't that an animal from oh, from, right. uh, from North America or something? So you better let everyone know who uh, who Nick actually is. Yeah, I'm so sorry if I've gone over time here. No, no, um, no, no talk away. This is this is what it's about. No, this is awesome. No, this okay, is cool. so hope, hope, hopefully we've got some uh, beekeepers out driving, and um, this conversation <laughs> yes. is uh, keeping you awake. Uh, look, we we had an we had a Chinese brand or a brand that was built for China, and 
when you looked at it, I suppose you could say we succeeded because when you looked at it, it just looked like something that would appeal to a Chinese buyer, and it did. Uh, but when we wanted to, we knew that we wanted to expand into the Middle Eastern market um, from a diversity and not only just increasing revenue, but also to risk control, not to put all our eggs in, in China. I looked at the brand and thought, this is just not going to float. We tested it here in the Australian market and it was just like, ooh, we were secretly watching Aussie consumers. They, they would look at it and they'd go to the thing next and were like, okay, not going to work. We need a new brand. So thinking, all right, well, if we're going to hit the local economy, uh, we really need to come in to these retailers, so the Coles and the Woolworths of the world, and we need to come in and go, bang, here we are, make a statement, give them something that they can't say no to. So once again, coming back to marketing, where it really is the way in which Honey is being marketed in this country, and I suspect many others, except New Zealand, um, is like it's back in the 1980s. It's mm. shocking. Like, mm. you know, we've seen enough of the people cooking scones and putting honey on it, and, and the little blonde yes. girl with the rosy cheeks. I said, <laughs> we need something bigger. Yes. So, anyway, this story this is quite an interesting story. I, um, I wanted to approach Russell Coit, and oh, I yeah. had an idea. Yeah. I had an idea that um, I would do some ad campaigns with Russell Coit. So I ended up with Russell Coit, Bindi Irwin and um, and the Honey Badger. So we, I had a big spreadsheet with about 20 celebrities actually uh, because social influencing and celebrity marketing um, is, you cannot underestimate the power of that. And the fact that no one was doing it here, I was like, right. I love when people zig, I zag. So we raided all of our celebrities and um, uh, Hugh Jackman actually came out on top and I thought, well, we can't afford him. <laughs> okay. um, and and the Honey Badger, believe it or not, was um, oh, it came in second. So we, yeah, we, we approached Nick and just said, look, have we got a deal for you? And he, people have said to me, Jay, how do you do this? How do you get to these people? How do you make this stuff happen? And I said, easy. You just need to understand the other person, know what drives them, what gets them out of bed every morning what they're aiming for in their life, and then you put an offer to them that helps them achieve their goals and bang, you've I'll got a deal. So, yeah, exactly. yeah, so we ended up actually getting Bindi. Her her team said, yep, let's have a meeting, but then I fell in love with Nick anyway, so I was like, no, nah, you're, you're done. So, yeah, Nick came back to us and said, look, um, he loved the story. Um, and so for all of the listeners that don't know Nick, so Nick Cummins, um, he played for the Wallabies and um, – so, yeah, and then he went overseas, he played for Japan, um, and he's the endorser for um, uh, BCF and Battery World. Okay. And yep. he was on, not this, not last year, but the year before, he was featured on the FAS okay. and um, on also on some television um, series off the grid. So he, he's, oh, and um, they don't like to mention it, but um, a lot of people, I can't say how many people message me about The Bachelor. So he was The Bachelor, I think, in 2018, which, um, you know, uh, was character building, let's say, for him. Yeah, how did he get his name, The Honey Badger, Jay? So he um, he's a very ferocious person. So w- when I look at Nick, like he's, uh, we did a photo shoot and um, he looked, when he's got a baggy shirt on, he just looks like a normal person. And then he took his shirt off and I was like, oh, my God, you, <laughs> you're massive. <laughs> and um, and I, couldn't, I couldn't help but look. And I'm like, oh, we're on a photo shoot, so it's fine. Um, but the, And I actually thought, like, wow, this guy's actually a big guy. But he, he actually pointed out to me, Jay, I was tiny. I was tiny compared to these people I was playing rugby against. Like, this guy's built like a brick shithouse. They're, they're, they're big. They're big men. And um, and he knew. Like, so Nick's very psychological, like very, very conditioned, very trained, very methodical and um, holds himself accountable. So he, out on the field, he the, the way he explains to me, and Nick, if you listen to this, I hope I'm saying it right, um, he knew that he's not, he was not the biggest person out in the field, nor was he the fastest, but he could certainly be the most ferocious. And mm. and he knew that that was his strength, his strength of mind going into, you know, those tackles. I mean, I'm AFL, so I don't know what it's, what it's called, but going in, he just knew he had to hit hard and he knew the angles he needed to hit on to be able to upend, you know, some of the biggest uh, people on, on the field. And it would result in him being knocked out and all this kind of stuff. But 
Um, so it was that nature and that ferocity um, that he demonstrated on the field because that's that's really all he had. You know, that's you know, in in comparison to some of these bigger and more faster people. And um, and then he ended up getting the name the honey badger because the honey badger is only a very small animal, but its jaw, ah, okay. its power, and its jaw and if, if the honey badger comes up against a fight with even some of the most largest animals, it will come off the winner. Yeah, so because okay. of his ferocious nature, um, he got this. Um, he, he got the nickname. So when we actually contacted um, Nick, uh, his his agency actually said, you know, he he did years ago actually quote, how could he get into honey? And um, those that know Nick, he's got a massive social media media following. He loves to live off the grid. He's on solar. He um, he loves to grow his own food, and everything's just natural. He's got likes rainwater, um, so he actually lives in a national park. He bought part of a national park, and um, and he just loves honey, where he can produce and be self sufficient. Um, and he just said it was a match made in heaven, which is why he wanted to come on board. So, yeah, we landed a celebrity. Um, He's on board with us for five years and he loves the company that much. He's become one of their founding shareholders in the company. So he's got skin in the game and a lot of it. Um, he's got a lot of power. He's got a huge following and he is he is absolutely chasing at the bit to spice this industry up. So listening to, him, listening to him address Woolworths uh, this morning was bloody impressive. And um, he just said, good, it's, it's time we made Honey Sexy again. Let's get <laughs> more it. people into the aisle. Let's yep. spice things up. So yeah, so that's um, that's how we got the honey badger. That's awesome. He's and he's got an absolutely fantastic head of hair, doesn't he? <laughs> oh mate, he does. <laughs> we he he's been sporting like he, he went a bit rogue there for a while, and um, he had like a beard and everything. And our marketing agency just said, "Nah, you got to lose that stuff on your face, mate." So <laughs> he's recently been all cleaned up and whatever. But you know, he's just such a He's a lovely, he's a lovely guy. And what people don't realise is, um, you know, we see celebrities and you know that they're, you know, different to us, but they're not. They're just people just like us. And Nick, Nick is one of eight kids, oh, and wow. I know. Wow. Okay. Yeah, he's one of eight kids, and he was raised by a single dad. Wow. So you okay. know that the mechanics, the dynamics, sorry, um, of being raised in a family of eight with, you know, a medium income single father. Uh, you know, it would have been tough. Yeah, exactly. So I know when Nick was Nick was eighteen, you know, setting off on his career, um, he didn't have much to his name. You know what I mean? And he's been able to. I'm, I, I've only known Nick for for a year now, but man, I'm proud of him to see what he's overcome and 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 how he's positioned himself um, in his career is sensational. And um, so it makes me look at celebrities a lot a lot different now. Um, that they are effectively just people like us yeah that's awesome that's awesome now the fantastic fantastic uh episode jay really uh really appreciate it <laughs> i uh, hope so that is awesome. i hope i didn't oh you poor thing you didn't even get the same no, thing no it's fine no that's no it's absolutely amazing like you're yeah, absolute wealth of knowledge because what we'll do in in a year's time we'll get you back on and we'll sort of hear you know a bit more of an update as well because what an exciting um venture you guys are doing and i'm going to put in the show notes the website um, so if people want to sort of check it out, so I'll put the Australian Honey Ventures uh, website. Yeah, in there. do that. Mm. Um, unfortunately, our website, um, our the website developer has been unwell, and we haven't. Um, our website doesn't really say much about the capital raise. Um, but if anyone is interested in um, learning a little bit more about us, definitely jump onto our Facebook page. It's Australian Honey Ventures, and we've got a movie pinned to the top. It's got the Honey Badger in there, and just talks about what we've done since our last raise, why we need to do this raise and how you can get involved. And um, anyone can buy shares in the company for as little as $250. Oh, wow. So okay. um, cool. shares, so at the moment, it's just a, um, it's the marketing um, advertising campaign. Yep. So we'll run that for four weeks. And on the 15th of February, uh, the people can buy shares. So okay. we're, we're already in... So, uh, seven days. We've just been doing um, the advertising. We're already up to nine hundred thousand dollars worth of interest, and awesome. um, our campaign closes on the first of March. So we'll probably be up around the two million mark raise. So anyone wanting to get involved, 
um, if maybe then you could put that link on in, in yes. the bio or whatever. We'll do, yeah. uh, I encourage everyone to get on and register your interest. It's free. Um, so you don't miss out on early bird access when shares become available. When shares, it's like a ticket to a concert. Register your interest now to get access 24 hours before everyone else does because it will just sell out. And we're doing that on the, we're doing that on the virtual, like the serial virtual um, uh, crowdfunding platform. Awesome. Fantastic. Jay, I really appreciate your time. That was an absolute amazing interview. So thank you so, so much for your time. And uh, as I said, thank we'll, you, yeah, Ben. Yeah, we'll get you back on in a, in a year's time, and uh, and I'll put all those details in the show notes. So so for people, uh, thank d- you. Yeah, I might um, I might get the badger on next time. Okay, awesome. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll do a uh, a double. You you and uh, you and yeah, that's that, it. That'll be awesome. Uh, once again, thank you so much, Jay. That was absolutely awesome interview. Really appreciate your time, and uh, you take care and uh, enjoy that paradise. I will, mate. Enjoy that paradise over in Western Australia. It's um, I know I haven't had COVID yet, but I'm, it's it's inevitable. I'm waiting. Yeah, that's true, but it's not as bad as everyone sort of what the media sort of portraying. So, and particularly having you know, no. honey, you know, it's a natural medicine. So, absolutely brilliant. Exactly. But uh, thank you so much for the opportunity. And um, yeah, I've lost my podcast virginity to you tonight. <laughs> um, and. <laughs> Um, I wish you a very speedy recovery with your COVID. That, I really appreciate it. No, I'm almost better. I just had a couple of rough days, but that no, all good now. And uh, thanks so much, Jay. Look forward to it. Actually, maybe Take care. I, I, I should uh, just jump in. Are you going to any sort of Appermondia in Russia or any sort of conventions? There's one coming up in June in Sydney. Are you, do you go? Um, yeah, so that's Congress. Yeah, Congress. And, uh, the, so the, the, the chairman of Congress is Dr. Shona Blair. So Dr. Shona Blair is also a major shareholder um, in our company and also an advisor to our board, scientific advisor. So um, she has said, Jay, you need to get there. So we have it all planned. Um, Stephen, uh, Stephen's got to uh, participate in the, I don't know, Australian Open Bowls event and then he needs to do this and that. So it works out that we will be there at Congress. Oh, well, I'll, um, be, I'll be there too. I'll be there too. Well, so. find me. Come yeah, and find me. Will do. Thanks, Jay. Really appreciate it. You take care. Yeah, you too, Ben. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye. How fantastic was that episode with Jay? What an absolute wealth of knowledge. The way she was talking, enthusiasm. I was just hanging off the mic here. Absolutely brilliant. So uh, no, I really appreciate your time, Jay. Thank you so much. And uh, I'll put in the show notes to check out the uh, the website. So, so good. Um, as you can hear, I'm a little bit under the weather with COVID. People are probably going to ask me. Um, unfortunately, my, my partner, she was in Brisbane and uh, she brought some cooties back to Melbourne. It was actually not that bad. It was, I just had a fever for a day, um, isolated for just over a week. Um, and um, so I'm, I'm all good. But I just sound that little bit, little bit flat because just a little bit of a fatigue. But, uh, but I'm all well, so um, that all is good. And uh, looking forward to the uh, next podcast. And and one actually, once I should mention, in a year's time, we'll get Jay back on because what a what a fantastic platform helping the Australian industry, the Australian beekeepers, um, which is absolutely awesome. So keep up your magic work. And until next week, uh, take care and stay safe.